As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Wednesday, February 7th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Continuing our team preview series today. Three teams on the rundown. We have the Astros, the Mariners, and the Rockies. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the three-headed dragons. The two, two fierce ones. <laughs> right. Two fierce and one kind of looking around like, wait, which way are you two looking? I'm not even looking the same direction. <laughs> With the googly eyes. <laughs> Perfect description of what we have in front of us. But once again, the universe has dealt the rundown a small gift. We have some breaking news, and it involves the Astros. Jose Altuve has signed a five-year, $125 million extension with the Astros, I don't think I've ever seen a five-year extension for a second baseman who's currently 34 years old. This is going to cover his age 35 to 39 seasons. It pretty much ensures that El Tuve can finish his career as an Astro. And it also came with some comments from their owner, Jim Crane, that as long as he's the owner, the window will be open. So, you know, you like to hear all these things. These are things that make you very happy if you're an Astros fan. And I think the question for us to wrestle with is, how do we think Jose Altuve is going to age? It was an injury last year, a fluke injury that cost him a lot of time, only played 90 games. So I'm not looking at what happened last year and saying durability is a major issue as a result of that particular absence. We know that middle infielders don't typically age all that well, but as far as the skills that Altuve has, a slight uptick in Ks last year, nothing completely out of bounds compared to previous high-end stuff. I don't know. This looks reasonably good on paper like overall like that he continues to do a lot of the things he's done well since the beginning of his career and the only real difference is he just steals fewer bases but he gets the more power now so it 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 works because he sort of reinvented himself along the way i guess i'm a a little bit worried about uh the the sprint speed um you know it was a it was the hand injury last year right so you know, I, I he went from 70th percentile sprint speed to 37th last year. Uh, that's a pretty big drop. 
you know, he still stole bases, and so the functional speed is still there. And 37th percentile is not like a catcher. You know, it's not... And at second base, it's not necessarily like center field where he has to run things down. Um, you know, he could still be fine, quick twitch left to right. The defensive numbers are still decent. So, um, yeah, I, I think everything's going to be fine. But I do think that that I know he got hit on the hand in the WBC. And that's a little bit unfair to call like injury risk. But I would say that like that's the biggest risk when you start getting to 37, 38, 39 is not always just what you do on the field, but, you know, what happens to keep you off the field. If you do just sort of regular aging, which is the idea is you sort of drop a half win every year and you take his projection and you add up the next five years, um, you would get basically, oh, so it starts next year. All right, so they're they're paying around uh, nine to ten million per win, quote unquote. Um, so that's market value. Plus, as uh, you know, a future Hall of Famer that has played for the Astros his whole career, there's a non-zero value to just sort of keeping him in the fold all the way through. There are only good feelings towards him. It's a little bit different, I think, with Alex Bregman because of their place in the cheating scandal. Um, and, um, just Jose Altuve has been someone that uh, Astros fans have embraced, uh, to a sort of different level. So if you say we're paying market rate for this extension, it's not taking them into 41, 42, 43. Um, and we're just ensuring that Altuve ends his career as an Astro. That's probably, I don't know what that's worth. You know, I don't even know how to value that, but if it's worth five or 10 million, then that makes this deal completely fine. And I just, I see skills that will still be good even if they're not at the elite and near elite levels at the end of the deal that's fine you're not worried about year four and year five of the extension you're trying to keep this window open and continue to contend for a title each and every year which let's begin the preview i I think the astros are still built to be a machine and they've done it for so long. You just expect them to be in the ALCS now. That's the run that they've put together. Looking at the projections from the Bat-X, you can see really easily why that's the case. You've got plenty of guys that have 20 home run power. You have a couple of elite guys with Tucker and Alvarez. You have guys who've been elite in Altuve and Bregman. And I think a lot of a lot of their ability to sustain this isn't really about what the stars do. It's kind of about what the secondary guys do, right? They're going to rely a lot more heavily on Yiner Diaz this year now that Martin Maldonado is gone. Chaz McCormick is going to have a larger role this year. Already played a lot last year. And I think you could see the possibility of Jeremy Pena with full health taking another step forward at the plate. And if some combination of those things happen while your kind of core four bats continue to perform at or near their projected levels, you have the recipe for another just really dangerous top-to-bottom offense that in past years would sort of punt the spot when Maldonado would come up, but generally 1-6, through 1-7 through seven is as good as any lineup in baseball. That's the makeup of this roster again. Yeah, it's a really strong roster, and there's some uh, spackle on it as well with Mauricio Dubon being one-man spackle. Um, you know, just being a representative, good athletic player that can play many different positions, um, and step in for you at center or in the middle infield, 
um, without costing you all the way down to sub replacement level. So, um, you know, it's a really good, it's a well thought uh, through roster. There's going to be some uh, debate about whether or not Jose Abreu bounces back as much as the projection said. Recency bias helps us that he was pretty decent in the playoffs. Um, and so maybe he will bounce back to that level that you've got there, sort of 255, 21 homers. That's better than he was last year. And he was pretty atrocious in the first half. So um, that's, uh, you know, one piece of it. And then the other piece is Yanir Diaz's uh, defense in some of the way he was pitched late in the season because he's uh, he will he will chase outside the zone and they uh, pitchers reacted to that and he had a poor September but um, with his combination of just pure ability to make contact and pure power um, you know I think uh, the coaching staff can help him prepare for games um, and uh, coach up those soft skills a little bit uh, on the catching side. Um, and Caratini's a solid backup where you can stick Yiner at DH sometimes um, if that's if you want to get his bat in the lineup. So I and even with Jake Myers, they have a, a really solid uh, defensive backup in the outfield. You know, if if they need Dubon somewhere else, and you know, I've got this chart up just so you can see that Chaz McCormick, you know, has actually beaten Jake Myers and outs above average over the last. Um, over the last three years combined. So that's why I think Chaz McCormick will start in center and Jake Myers be more of a backup. But you see here also that Jordan Alvarez is out above average if you sum up three years is really poor. And so he might DH a little bit more going forward, um, which has some implications for possibly opening up a little bit of playing time in the outfield for Dubon and Myers. I just don't know that I'm excited about, you know, putting those in my lineup um, every day or yeah, like just, I don't know if I'm excited to get them into my lineup in a fantasy sense. The tricky thing about all of this will be just how much Diaz's defense improves, right? How much will his game calling and defense reach the level where they're comfortable with him being the primary catcher or will it be, you know, two starts, out of five where he's behind the plate and Caratini plays more than expected and to get Diaz's bat in the lineup, they have to DH him and because they DH Diaz, Alvarez has to play left, right? Someone gets squeezed based on some things that might even be out of their control. The other thing you would probably consider too with Yaron Alvarez is there's at least one day in that starting five where it makes a lot of sense for him to play left field. It's the day that Framber Valdez starts. We know Framber <laughs> Valdez gets more ground balls, can be an extreme ground baller, most years, that would be one of those spots where you say, sure, let's go ahead and just you know let Alvarez play left field. Play him in left field a little more at home than on the road with the Crawford boxes. That's another way to sort of work around it. So I don't think we've hit the point with Alvarez where he's going to drop down below 20 games in the outfield or anything like that, but I do think they're going to be a little more selective with how much he plays out there as a result of a few other factors with the roster right now. Yeah, yeah I mean... Uh... They they said that they wanted to get a left-handed hitting outfielder, um, you know, and that might be because Jake Myers bats right-handed, Chaz McCormick bats right-handed, and Mauricio Dubon bats right-handed. Um, and so getting somebody that can play the outfield and bat lefty was obviously something they wanted. Um, and so they went and got 
Trey Cabbage. Trey, yeah, Trey Cabbage, who bats lefty, 26 years old, uh, does have options left. So it may be a battle for the last spot in the roster. If we da -da 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 -da, build a bench, <laughs> we get Victor Caratini has to be on this team. Mauricio Dubon is probably the backup shortstop and backup center fielder, which that, see what happens when you have, you know, someone that's versatile as that? That's two people. You know, he's backing up two places. That allows you to have two more backups on this team that don't necessarily need to be able to play center. So I guess there's room for two of Corey Jokes, Trey Cabbage, John Singleton. And Gray Kessinger. And Kessinger. Do you have a do you have a, a do you have a favorite? Kessinger's another guy that I think they could use at shortstop, so that probably gives him a shot. I mean, Singleton has the least amount of defensive value, and to me, I, I think the last spot is Singleton versus Cabbage. That's to me like the because they're so, both lefties and Cabbage having so you, options. You're lefties. saying Kessinger's in because he can play the infield. I think there's a chance he's in. Good numbers at AAA last year. Big OBP. Kept the K rate down. 34.9% hard hit rate. That looks like a solid bench player to me. Yeah, it's a little weird. That was his best uh, attempt. He's 26 <laughs> and it was AAA at, um, you know, a sort of culmination of a bunch of WRC pluses that were under 100. Um, and so his projections don't think much of him. Uh, but the defense is good enough to be a sub. I don't think he will be fantasy relevant. I do think the backup shortstop for Houston is not worth thinking about unless Jeremy Pena gets hurt. Pena had 634 plate appearances last year, played 150 games. He's dealt with a couple of injuries his first two years in Houston since taking over for Carlos Correa. We saw a few improvements last year. He swung at fewer pitches outside the zone, lowered the K rate a little bit, walked a little bit more. The barrel rate, as we talked about a few weeks ago, it got cut in a big way. He went from a 9.6 barrel rate in his rookie season to a 4% barrel rate last year. We need to see a little bit of a recovery there for him to unlock that 20 home run power, but I don't think it's that unrealistic. I mean, the, the big difference was he hit the ball on the ground too much. And when you look back at Jeremy Pena's historical ground ball rates, usually it's more of a mid to high 40% range. It's not 54%. Yep. So I think there's an adjustment that can be made there. And I think there's a lot of confidence in Pena. I think the makeup of the roster right now is a reflection that they still believe that year three could be the best year we've seen yet from Jeremy Pena as an Astro. Yeah, I've traded uh, Cody Bellinger twice in the in the last six months. Uh, one time it was for Josh Lowe, Mason Wynn, and another two sort of keepable prospects uh, that weren't on the Major League roster. And the second time, which was just this week, I traded uh, with Brad Johnson. I traded uh, James Anderson as my co-owner, and we traded Cody Bellinger and Charlie Morton in a 20-team dynasty. Um, and we got back Colton Kowser, Parker Meadows, Jeremy Pena. And uh, we are pretty excited to get a... 26-year-old middle infielder that we think will hit for more power uh, in the future. I can point to the max EV being good. Uh, I can point to the same ground ball rates. That was something that I saw that you, that you that you pointed out. I like that he has non-zero speed. The projections are are pretty decent for sort of a 320 
uh, OBP with 15, 15 uh, homers and stolen bases. And then you just think about the fact that this is a 26-year-old who's shown uh, enough defense that he's going to be in there every day. And he has cut his strikeout rate, so it's better than average. Uh, he has a better than average max EV. Like, there's a lot of things here that could point to a breakout, you know? Um, all that he would have to do is lift the ball a little bit better, maybe chase a tiny bit less, um, and you could see something that's more like a 350 OBP um, and even something as nice as a 420, 440 uh, slugging. Um, and so that would be more like a 2020 season in my mind. Um, and I'm pretty excited to get that. Plus, Colton Kowser is an OBP god. Hopefully he makes it. And Parker Meadows is just one of these guys who does a lot of things above average. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of ways to be right when you make a deal like the one that you just described. But Jeremy Pena might be the player that I actually like the most because there's so many little signs that a step forward is on the horizon. Let's take a look at the pitching in Houston. It's still very good. Framber Valdez, maybe a little underrated just because of the way he does it. We've talked about him over the years as someone who did a really good job lowering the walk rate that was kind of plaguing him when he first broke through several years ago. He's a workhorse and one of those guys that I think because he gets so many ground balls, you just feel like he's got a good chance of beating the projection with the ERA most years. It just seems like he's a little below every year. Uh, you got Verlander who continues to age like a fine wine. You've been pretty clear about how much you'd like Verlander this year at the current price. Could be a big up arrow next to his name, especially now that he's another year removed from from surgery. Maybe we get you know one more classic Verlander season. The questions do start to come in with the middle of the rotation where you've got Christian Javier and Hunter Brown as the three and four in some order. Hunter Brown had, does a lot of things that we like. Christian Javier in the past has shown a lot of things that we liked, so it, not unreasonable to think that at least one of those guys could be better in 2024 than they were in 2023. Javier has a bit of a reliever's arsenal, uh, very much 90-plus percent two pitches, 95% um, two pitches, and with any sort of drop-off in his fastball, you see how immediate the drop-off in results was as it was last year. So I don't know if it's this year or next year or the year after that, but I think at some point he'll be back in the bullpen. Um, and I think it could be as soon as this year, depending. The only guy that I think can really uh, push him out of the rotation is Lance McCullers Jr. And he's got probably the worst injury history of any uh, starting pitcher in baseball. But they said, you know, he wants to come back towards the end of summer. Uh, is what he hmm. said last week. Um, so I, I don't really see an option for this team other than perhaps limiting Javier to uh, four or five innings per start and trying to stay ahead of those kind of home run outbursts uh, that he has sometimes. And uh, so I, I think, you know, he's, they don't really have another option. I think he's going to go out there. I just worried that how much of the, the quantity you get will be quality. Whereas Hunter Brown, I see all sorts of reasons for how he's going to get better. Um, you know, in terms of his projection, it's so much better. And then he went on with Chandler Rome and was talking about how later in the season, uh, because of fatigue, his mechanics changed and he wasn't able to get the ball 
to his glove side as well. And I just did a heat map. And he mentioned his fastball and his slider. And I just did a heat map. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you can see that um, late in the season, he was not able to throw the slider loan away, which is just a, a really bizarre problem to have. I mean, that's where you want to throw. A righty wants to throw a slider loan away to a right-hander. Early in the season, he did it. Late in the season, he didn't. And like for somebody that like, oh, the whole reason he's bad is command. You look at these two heat maps. I wouldn't say command is necessarily the problem if he tells you he couldn't get it to one of those places. You know what I mean? Like it's all in the zone. Uh, it's just late in the season, it's high in the zone. And early in the season, it was low and away. And uh, since he identified the problem and the projections like him and all sorts of these luck uh, you know, these traditional luck metrics say that he's uh, going to be better. Uh, when I say that, I mean things like batting average on balls in play, uh, which was inflated last year. Uh, you know, home runs allowed uh, is, a, is a very noisy stat. That was inflated uh, against his, um, you know, against what he's done in the past. His strand rate, which is how often you leave runners on base, was below where it was normally uh, for his career uh, and below league average. So you look at something like Sierra, 3.74 Sierra last year, which approximates his true true uh, talent, and he had a 5 ERA. So basically, you have a statistical argument, you have a mechanical argument, you have an approach argument, you have all sorts of reasons uh, to, to believe in Hunter Brown this year. Yeah, and I think when you look at where they go in drafts, it's easy to choose Brown over Javier, given that... The up arrow seems to be next to Brown's name for the reasons you described, whereas Javier is, is showing some of his warts in a big way as he kind of stretches out and works full seasons as a starter for this Astros team. Uh, you look at the relievers. I mean, they add Josh Hader to a loaded bullpen by stuff. Ryan Presley and Brian Abreu are actually better. Josh Hader still very good. Um, so this is just a, a really, really high-quality bullpen that, goes much deeper than the three or four names you're going to see kind of atop the depth chart as well. I think the other part of this roster that's kind of interesting is that you still have Jose Urquidy there. He can chew up some innings. JP France looked competent as a back-end guy. So they have a few ways they can uh, maybe nurse Luis Garcia back into the rotation. Luis Garcia is coming back, but when do we know? Does, he's more like missing the whole season kind of. I right? think it's a late, late season return. It might not be a totally different estimated return date than McCullers. I just think... Unfortunately, with McCullers, we've seen so many setbacks. You just can't really expect much from him. I hope he gets back, but I think it'd be just kind of a, a bonus at this point if it actually it turns out that way. So they're built to be fine, kind of regardless of what happens with both Garcia and McCullers this year. But man, this bullpen is just, it's electric. It's one of the best in the league. It's not even, not even really a d debate, right? It's just, it's that loaded. I think Jose Arcadi is actually a high quality version of Mauricio Dubon for this <laughs> pitching staff. Yeah. Right? Like he's going to come in in the third or fourth if the team just wants to win the game and, you know, Javier's are just giving up two runs. Like if it's 4 2 in the third or something, you know, they're losing 4 2 in the third. Like Jose Arcadi could come in, you know? Yeah, big, big drop in strikeout rate last season for Urquidy. I mean, he was never an overwhelming strikeout guy to begin with, but getting down to 16.4% and walking more guys than usual, that's sort of put him on the outside looking at the rotation for now. But 21 and 22, this is a guy that threw about 270 innings of sub-4 ERA with a good whip. So it's a nice 
extra pitcher to have around, but it looks like he is more of a swingman glue guy for them now than he was just a few years ago. As far as the Picota projection goes for the Astros, we're going to use the Goldilocks porridge scale throughout the entire series. 94.6 wins, so round it up to 95 if you want to. Is that best in the big leagues? Mm, no, Dodgers. Dodgers are better. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Just right. I uh, did have some questions about the Mariners, and we'll talk about them later. Um <laughs> I think one thing that helps them is what I just said in the last podcast, which is there could be two 100 lost teams in their division. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I necessarily think this version of the Astros, although the hater thing, it, it was pretty, pretty strong for the, the, the playoffs. I don't know if I think this version of the Astros, Astros is one of the best versions of the Astros uh, because I have some questions about the pitching depth. Um, but uh, the bullpen is amazing. The division is not. And uh, they have young studs. They have mid-career studs. They have old studs. So uh, it, it's a really good team. I just, I'm a little surprised that, and maybe this is the beginning of the player development change that we've seen in the organization, that they're kind of turning a little bit more towards scouting. But I'm a little bit surprised that a team that kind of at one point seemed to be just turning out new starting pitchers and 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 doing it on you know very little uh, budget. So you'd think this is a player development win. If you're giving Christian Javier $5,000 to sign out of the Dominican, you know, if you're giving Urquidy $10,000, if you're getting these guys from Bird, if you're getting these guys for very cheap, that's not a scouting win. That's got to be a player development win in my mind. Um, and we're not seeing as many of those still bubbling up. JP France has a chance. Um, you know, one thing that was really weird about France last year was that he threw the change up so much um, and I think he just did that because of, you know, how, you know, how things were going at the, at the game level, but he led the minor leagues in strikeouts and he used his breaking balls more down there. So I'm kind of expecting him to throw the slider and the curve more than the changeup this year. Um, and maybe bring back some of those strikeouts. And there's some of that in the projections as well. So, um, I think that JP France's book is not writ yet and he could represent the, a new version of this player development win for them. Yeah, uh, a potential Lodum win as well. Not going to cost you much in drafts and should be solid as at least a streaming option for you in most leagues. I'll agree with you on the uh, projection, the 94.6 wins. That seems just right. The real question is going to be when you look at the Astros in 2024, are they actually six, seven, eight, maybe even 10 games better than some of the teams trying to chase them. Like That's the part that I think I have a problem with. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to the Mariners preview. Right. So it, it does hang a lot on the Mariners quality, right? Because they're going to play each other a lot. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of things to like about the Mariners. The way I described them earlier in the winter was they seem like a team that exerts a lot of effort to get just a little bit better. It's 10 <laughs> moves to get just a half win or a win better sometimes. They are playing the paper get clip game hard. Yeah, that's what they do, right? If that's if that's a strength of your organization, then great. That's a strength of your organization. But think about this group of hitters just from a who's in, who's out standpoint. Via trades and free agency, now you've got Mitch Garver and Jorge Polanco and Mitch Hanniger in, and they've effectively replaced Teoscar Hernandez, Eugenio Suarez, and Jared Kelnick. Like, off the cuff, are they better? Or are they pretty much the same as they were, just with three different names taking those spots? Yeah, it's on a radio show. That was the big question, and we couldn't quite come to it. I I don't think they're better. I think they're about the same. <laughs> and and some of that is like outside stuff that they didn't have necessarily, you know, control over, which is maybe they had to you know, cut budget and remain the same. So maybe they are more efficient. Maybe they are just as good, but cheaper. <laughs> um, but uh, I, it's hard for me to make the argument that without a young player that could break out in the corner outfield of Jared Kelnick's quality, which I don't think Canzone is quite there, um, then, you know, it's hard to make the argument that they're better without that. Because, you know, having a young outfielder that could break out and join the middle of the rotate middle of the lineup i think would be huge i'm not sure i see that in canzone yeah i don't think that's happening you know this year i think canzone could be okay as a role player my expectations for him are deep league relevant not much more than that maybe they get more out of luke rayleigh than the rays did last year that seems like a little bit of a stretch and we know with mitch Haniger, it just comes down to health if mitch Haniger is healthy then Maybe he's better than what they got from Kelnick last year. That's that's not an unreasonable sort of ask. But I think the only other thing I'd wonder about as far as are they better? Maybe they're the same, but they're they're going to strike out less. Like maybe they're still a top ten run producing unit, but instead of striking out almost twenty six percent of the time as a team, maybe they knock the swing and miss down a little bit. That's an improvement. I mean, you'd, you'd be happy with that. That's something they wanted to do. Yeah, and maybe they did that. That's something they set out to do. Let's see the bat X projections uh, in terms of plate appearances, strikeout rates. You've got uh, 23 3 from Julio Rodriguez. That's about average. JP Crawford and Ty France were always better than average. They acquired Jorge Polanco, which is around average, 23.5. Cal Raleigh was there last year, and you're not getting rid of him just because of that. They acquired Mitch Hanniger, who's, who's going to strike out more than average. They acquired Mitch Garver, who's going to strike out more than average. They acquired Luce, but not, but not like. Uh, I guess less than Teoscar. Less than Teoscar and less than Kelnick. Less than Kelnick, right. And Luis Urias, about average. Luke Rayleigh, more than Teoscar. 
Uh, Josh Rojas a little bit better than average, and Canzone, uh, the, that might be one of his best aspects is that he makes contact. Yeah. I mean, if, if Canzone pops, I think a big part of it is controlling the strike zone somewhat close to the way he did at AAA. I don't know if you can just look at 13.2% for the K rate, 12.8% for the walk rate, and say, yeah, he could do that against top-level pitching. But if it's even an 8% walk rate and a sub-20% K rate, that works if he's still hitting the ball hard. And he was hitting the ball hard after the promotion last year. That slash line didn't really reflect some of the the contact quality. Some questions about how he fits in defensively. But I don't know. I could see it working out for Canzone. He's fine where he goes as a late late roster sort of filler. And I just think the the injury history for Hanniger probably leaves the door pretty open for yeah. Canzone to play a lot, even though they got some other guys like Cade Marlowe and other depth options that could be vying for that playing time. Even his handedness. I mean, he's left-handed and Hanniger's right-handed. So, you know, depending on how he plays when he's on the field, there could be, there's two ways forward for Canzone. You know, take the lefty, at, take the, the big part of the platoon or or just come in and, and if there's an injury. I would say that Canzone was unlucky last year. A 12% barrel rate, 112 max EV, and a uh, 399 slugging. Um, you look at that ISO, one of the reasons we like using isolated slugging percentage um, where 200 is comfortably good and 155 or so is league average. He had a 180 ISO. So you look at that slugging, you say 399 slugging, he can't hit the ball at all. Well, 180 slugging, you know, 180 ISO is above average. And that better reflects, that sort of tells you where the unluck was. It wasn't in his batting average on balls in play. It was on singles because he had a 237 Babbitt. But he still hit for power in doubles and doubles are stickier year to year. Power is stickier year to year than what you do on singles. What you do on singles goes up and it goes down every year and is really hard to project. So again, most of the systems say he's going to have better than league average power and they're giving him a bump in batting average on balls in play and they're saying he can hit 250, he can slug 430. Um, and then the big question about his whether or not, I think actually the big question becomes what happens to his patience? You know, he swung at a lot of pitches outside the zone and used to walk more in the minors. If he can add that patience along with the luck turning in his favor and the good uh, bad ball power, that's when he breaks out and becomes a 250, 330, uh, 440 guy. Um, still not the star level upside that Kelnick has. I still I still believe that that if you're looking at variance and I think that Kelnick has more upside, but that's a lot better player than A, Kenzone is projected for, and B, that people kind of expect out of him. So I, I, there is, there's something uh, that I like about him. So as a whole, we're going to say they're not worse as a lineup, and they might actually no. be a little better because they're going to put more balls in play. Fair assessment? Yeah. Okay. Well, the bread and butter for the team, the thing that we know we really like is the pitching. It's loaded. Right. It's, mm -hmm. you know, the rotation. It's Castillo, Kirby, Gilbert, and then the combo of Bryce Miller and Brian Wu, who both go just in the back of the top 200 range. They're really nicely priced for fantasy because you're getting some ceiling. You're getting guys that are in a great home park. So you already want to use them at home. You're probably going to have some spots where you can use them on the road and they might get a lot better. We talked about Miller working on a splitter this offseason. That could be huge for him. The question with Brian Wu kind of comes back to his effectiveness against lefties. What do you think is going to happen with Wu in those matchups? Do you see a path for him to significantly improve 
in those spots in 2024. Yeah, Brian Wu's problem is lefties, and I was hoping that with two sliders and two fastballs that he wouldn't have that problem. But last year, lefties hit 283, 389, 539 against him, and righties hit 179, 226, 268 against him. And when you look at this heat map, you know, of what he does with his secondaries against lefties, I think that you see that he's really kind of only got two ideas. You know, one is loan away and the other is loan in. And, um, you know, maybe he can place that cutter up and in on the hands more than he has. He didn't barely throw any up and in cutters to people. And I think that if you just keep throwing changeups, cutters and sliders, loan away and loan in, you just you make it easy on the hitter in terms of where their eye level is. Um, you know, they're, they, they know that anything up is a four seam and anything down is slop. It makes it easier for them not to sing at swing at it uh, unless it's a cookie. Um, and it just makes it easier for you to, uh, you know, sit in against Brian Wu as a lefty. So I think he's got to do something. But the nice thing is that with a cutter and a workable changeup, uh, you know, not necessarily a plus changeup, he's got the weapons. I just think he needs to go up and in with the cutter to give them another look. It's like another velo that's up, so they can't just say everything up is a four seam, everything down is it breaks. You know what I mean? So I I I look at this heat map and I say this is maybe not the best approach, but um, unless he has some real command issues getting that cutter uh, sort of high and tight, then um, I think there's probably a way forward for him. He has the. He has the clay, if you want to know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you see this sort of spread of some non-competitive pitches, which is also a little bit of the problem. Yeah, a lot of non-competitive pitches, And and just, I think, too large of a section of the strike zone, it's just unutilized. Because, yeah, yeah, if you are working more away and down, you're also living in that bat path for lefties, too. Mm -hmm. So that looks like the other kind of part of the problem with this location strategy for Wu. Uh, We've talked about the workloads. I think both Wu and Miller can work close to full innings this season so not a lot of concerns there i mean maybe maybe a little less than some of the early round pitchers we're talking about but not so much that you're really worried about head-to-head leagues or, or different problems that we sometimes run into with young pitchers being hard to throw out there in september i don't think that's going to be the case for Wu. i think if he's effective he'll be a solid member of the rotation start to finish this season it's part of why I think they pushed his innings last year. I mean, he was coming off of a 2022 season where he'd had like 50, what is this, 56 innings, 57 innings. Um, and they pushed him all the way to a combined 130 last year. And I think part of that is so that they could uh, get him to 150 this year. Maybe uh, some skip days or something down the stretch. Or, you know, another thing, if you're, if you're looking at um, <laughs> these, this leaderboard that um, that Derek has made for you know putting together some key stats, or if you just go on over to Fangraphs and um, look at the stuff plus for the Mariners last year, you'll notice that uh, they have great stuff, all of them, <laughs> um, and that uh, that doesn't surprise me because I think the the Mariners are one of probably the two or three teams that have the closest model to mine. <laughs> so that doesn't necessarily make either of us right. <laughs> um, but it is a little bit of personal validation to see, um, you know, just such excellent stuff plus up and down this starting team, uh, the starting team and the 
the bullpen. Like them getting Gregory Santos is something I would have done if I was running a team uh, and looking at stuff plus around the league and who was available. Uh, he slots in against uh, behind Andres Munoz and Matt Brash, two guys who have 130 stuff plus, just really superlative um, numbers there. And it does tell me a little bit something about the fact that maybe Emerson Hancock is not the sixth starter here. If that's something you care about, it could be Austin Voth. Um, but it's a little bit trickier for that uh, team to use Austin Voth as a sixth starter because of his veteran status and uh, the fact that he has no more options. So you may have to make the team as the sixth starter in the bullpen. Um, and so that's something to watch where, you know, maybe the better pitcher is the one that is less flexible for your roster. Yeah, that's true. I, I thought Voth was the kind of guy that might turn a corner with the Orioles during his time in Baltimore. It didn't quite happen, but he landed in another good place where maybe another tweak is possible. He'd be very interesting in deeper leagues if he ended up filling in at some point, because if they turn to him, they must have something they like. Otherwise, they'll go somewhere else in the org. Um, to pop somebody else into this rotation if needed, but literally a starting five where I like everybody where they go. I have no problem with anyone in that order. You get one toss-up with Castillo and Kirby early. You talked about Logan Gilbert being maybe an ace that's available outside the top 60 overall in some leagues, and then Miller and Wu is two guys that could take steps forward. You've got the possibility if Munoz gets hurt of Brash emerging to be like a top 10 closer, so there's a lot of ways this group could go right. I guess Santos just provides an actual, like, obvious alternative they've got plenty of good relievers in seattle but maybe it's less cut and dried now if munoz gets hurt who the backup closer really is a little bit of duplicity between gregory santos and matt brash because they're both sinker sliders sinker sweeper guys Hmm. um so i don't know if you really want to go in a game um like if you're in a three game series and you're just like heavily using santos and and brash is there any sort of fatigue you know or like where the other team is like seeing the same shapes um so maybe there's a, a chance that somebody else step, step steps forward in that bullpen to be the setup guy for people that care about holds um maybe maybe santos isn't the best bet um i don't know uh, you know trent thornton's pretty different uh, gabe spire um is a, a lefty maybe he'll uh, be stealing um some of those holds um, and maybe he's more of a traditional setup guy, even with excellent uh, numbers last year. Win projection here from Pakota over at Baseball Perspectives, 84.6, exactly a minus 10 from the Astros team that we just talked about. Too cold. I was too cold on this one, too. I, I really like the pitching. I know this is all baked into the projection, but I think we might be collectively just overlooking that striking out less ends up making this lineup a little more consistent and they weren't bad the way they were. So a more consistent top 10 run producing unit with this pitching 87, 88 games seems reasonable. And I think I always have this sort of built in expectation that if they're, if they're in the hunt in July, come the traded line, they're adding trader. Jerry is going to be adding and making this roster better and fixing some of the flaws that, will in, invariably open up at some point. Like there, there will be some spot to upgrade. Fangrass projected wins above replacement does not do some of the more sophisticated te- things that a, a win projection system can do, like simulate uh, the rest of the division, uh, simulate usage, simulate, um, you know, 
competition, that sort of deal. Uh, but uh, over at Fangraphs, the Mariners are the eighth best team by wins above replacement, uh, projected wins above replacement, and above the Rays, Rangers, and Orioles in order. Hmm. Um, so that may be surprising to uh, some of our listeners and maybe a reason to think about them as you know potential surprises i I did have someone asking me if they should um risk something on uh, the mariners to win the division and i i was like you know i know and and the odds are so much better you get so many better so much better odds to if you like go that way and say win the division rather than just make the playoffs right you know (laughs) so there's that that like well is it worth it for me to say make the playoffs and only make a little bit of money if they do make it or is it like better to just be like hey they're better than people think maybe they'll just win the division um and 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 you know do something that has better return if you risk a little bit more uh, that's a classic betting question that uh, you know i wouldn't be comfortable even doing without a model really <laughs> uh but your model's not even going to necessarily push you to say yes the mariners are gonna win the division right i don't think like anyone's model we, saying that right exactly i mean even the one i'm saying uh, fangrass war like saying they're in the top eight uh the astros are six wins clear of them uh in in wins above replacement so i get it i understand why the gap is like that but I don't know. I think 88, 89 wins might be where the Mariners end up going. Probably good enough to find their way into the postseason. It's going to be a great division battle between those three teams. I mean, 88, that's funny too, because we said we were struggling with other better than not than last year. They won 88 wins last year and were one game out of the playoffs. See, I think, think they're going to sneak in this year. Just a feeling. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply let's move on to our third and final team for today Uh, one of these teams is not like the others it is the colorado rockies you know the rockies have existed for 31 seasons as a franchise they have had a sub 400 pythagorean winning percentage in three of the last four seasons this is a team that finished one game out of first place in the nl west in 2018 that was not that long ago and they have fallen on some very, very hard times. I wish I had any glimmer of hope about their future, but they're in a division where it's just not going to happen. Like Arizona is a younger team on the rise. We saw them reach the World Series last year. They're built for the present and for the future better than the Rockies are. The Giants have 
deep pockets and a better core already in place. The Padres even spending less are in a better spot than the Rockies. And of course, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. So some of it's like the surroundings make it seem pretty bad. But it's actually worse than it used to be. When you look back at old Rockies teams, you saw feared lineups. You saw teams that could just put up crooked numbers, not just in Coors, but also on the road. Bombers, baby. Yeah, like they had a different build to them. And they would even occasionally run into a pitcher that found a way to beat the ballpark. The Ubaldo Jimenez season, I think it was 2009 or 2010. That was an amazing season. We'll never see anything like that in Coors again, most likely. I wonder if true talent-wise, he was like, you know, one of the top three pitchers in the league that year. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I I think you almost have to be to put up numbers like that in Colorado. (laughs) I don't know how things continue to get worse. If everybody else or most other franchises are just getting better and the Rockies are standing still, or if they're actually declining when other teams are getting better and some are standing still. But it's sad. And it's like, this is a fan base that deserves better. We've talked about them. One of our very first episodes was it's hard to win in Colorado. That hasn't changed. This is the most difficult place in Major League Baseball to win consistently. So if you're building this team, you have to do things different. I think their their rejection of their broad rejection of, of analytics is very clear. Like when you see the kinds of things they miss at, it's easy to understand that there's just not enough there as far as a a unique plan to get through the things that make playing at that altitude so difficult i cannot really discern a plan anywhere i mean the guys that can hit on this team can't field the guys that can field on this team can't hit the starters are not good even if you took them out of I mean the starters a lot of them are waiver claims from other teams or you know signings that those pitchers would have gone anywhere if they could have you know anywhere else uh, somebody like Dakota Hudson probably did not get uh much interest from anybody else or was they they trade for him they signed a one year contract with him no like I don't think he, I don't think anybody else was pounding down his door so you know, I can't say anything really good about the starting rotation. I would say probably, you know, like Justin Lawrence could be a good pitcher for another team and might be an okay pitcher for them this year. Nolan Jones is obviously a bright spot. Ryan McMahon is a, and Brian, Brandon Rogers are, are competent. I'm not a big fan of Ezekiel Tovar's approach. So I'd say they've got like one really nice, you know, young player, a couple productive you know decent average-ish uh mid-career guys and that's the end of the nice things i can say about them so we'll start with the pitching here just because it's it's impossible last season the rockies allowed 957 runs they could give up a thousand this year and they they did it once back in 1999 they allowed more than a thousand runs as a team I think it's just having this group of guys that even if they were average pitchers outside of Coors, you'd get a better result than what they've got. Cal Quantrill's a guy that we've been looking at for a long time and saying it just doesn't seem like it's going to work. He's not going to miss enough bats. Now he gets to deal with the park. Austin Gomber was one of the guys that came back 
in the Nolan Arenado trade. He's just there because club control. You mentioned Hudson. Probably didn't have other options. Kyle Freeland has been banged up. I thought at one point the Freeland signing, the extension they gave him, kind of made sense as someone that grew up in Colorado, had to learn how to pitch in those conditions, and it just it's worked out even worse than I would have thought. It doesn't help that Herman Marquez is hurt, right? He's less interesting than he used to be anyway. So it's just it's one problem after another. I'm with you on Lawrence. He's, he stands out. When you look at the list of, of, of stuff plus numbers for this team, he's the only guy with, with three numbers there at a 111.7. And if you're looking in the, the doc, uh, the Google doc that has the new stuff plus numbers, or if you're looking on YouTube right now, what you'll see um, is these stuff plus numbers have been washed for altitude. Like that was one of the things that we did in this new revision and so you can believe that Justin Lawrence has good stuff. He has 112 stuff plus. That's not, uh, that would be sort of middle of the road for a closer. Uh, that's a pretty good pitcher. He's the only one over 100 on this list. Um, but there, there's no pitcher here that if you took them and put them somewhere else, uh, their stuff plus would, would go through the roof. Um, you know, we saw a little bit of problem with that with Carlos Estevez. Um, and we know that altitude affects movement. And so we... Uh, specifically put an adjustment in into the model to adjust for altitude. And so, you know, what you see is a lot of really, really terrible stuff numbers uh, below 90 for the most part. The only thing I can say that like, you know, Kyle Freeland represents the only guy that had above average locations. And so what if you leaned into the kind of Merrill Kelly toolkit where you just got guys who had a lot of pitches and above average locations and, uh, and kind of that's, that's going against the market a little bit. And the, I think the, the A's tried a little bit with the kind of Paul Blackburn, Cole Irvin types, you know, what if you did that in Colorado, that would be an attempt at something. The other thing that I've thought about is like, what if you had, you know, kind of a bunch of Jake Junis's and Christian Javier's and there's very different guys. So Jake Junis is sinker sweeper, very good against righties. Javier is like four seam slider and it's a power slider. He would be someone who'd be more platoon neutral, but not as great in, in Colorado. So what if you had these like sort of archetypes and you did what the giants did last year and you had like eight starting pitchers on the roster and you just use some of them more at cores and use some of them more on the road, you know, and you just really you put somebody in analytics in charge of just figuring out the schedule for your pitchers, you know, and and you got buy in from everybody. Here's the problem with that. No pitcher wants to sign there. Yeah. So Jake Junis was on the market. If Jake Junis has anything close to the same numbers from Colorado or Milwaukee, he's going to Milwaukee. <laughs> right. So you can't. You can't put the system. The, the reason the Giants could put that system in place is because it was San Francisco and Sean Manaya said, sure, <laughs> you know, oh, you're going to use me how uh, I don't love that. But, you know, like I'll give it a shot for a year. At least the park will help me out. You know, nobody's going to come to Colorado and be like, you want to use me for three innings at a time every three days and sometimes in Colorado and <laughs> sometimes on the road. And yeah, OK. <laughs> so yeah. uh yeah that goes back to my idea of just pressurizing the whole park that's <laughs> that's my best idea <laughs> that's your you gotta best go idea. through an airlock to go in <laughs> yeah i don't think that's gonna happen 
The other idea would just be, and this is more on the offensive side, is just lean in hard on offense and just try to build the best offense you can. Right. Well, you still need a pitching strategy, but I think the 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 worst thing, aside from just your pitches move differently, hitters see stuff moving differently too. You're in Colorado, it moves one way. You go on the road, it moves differently. Making that adjustment's really hard for hitters. So that adds a layer of... Charlie of, Blackman's talked about it a lot. Yeah, it just adds a layer of difficulty to developing hitters who perform consistently well. But I think if you did lean into the position player core, found guys that can mash, but also play great defense at least then you've got something that translates in every ballpark. And Coors Field is huge, as people know, right? The It's very spacious because it has to be to keep keep it from being a bandbox with the ball flying the way it does. So you get this really odd combination of problems that you're trying to solve. Nolan Jones, by projection from the bad X, doesn't get quite the, the same shine that people want him to have. 22 homers, 14 steals is a nice projection. 262, all that works. He's going to play every day. Plenty of runs, plenty of RBIs. I, I still wouldn't back off him at ADP because of this. But the ADP is rising. And the ADP is tricky. Yeah, it's ticking up, right? If he was a fringe top yeah. 50 guy for most of draft season, well, now he's got an up arrow next to his name. Because you see, I think his Baseball HQ forecaster box said upside 30-30. And he was on a 30-30 pace last year once the Rockies put him on the field. I get it. The Tovar approach is a problem. He's so young that there's time for him to change it. I would still like to see more more proof in player development in recent years to believe it's going to happen. It seems like it's pretty much in Tovar's hands, right? It's up to him. If he's willing to make those adjustments, puts the time in to make those adjustments, sure. Maybe it can happen. Ryan McMahon kind of feels like he's just hit that plateau. Like he's just a very oatmeal-y sort of player. The best thing about him at this point is that he's second and third third base eligible. He get to move between the middle and the corner. He, he he did like a little bit of like a more of a pull approach to get to more of his power and it cost him some strikeouts. But it is funny. He came out the other side very similar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Elias Diaz, we've talked about a few times, very uh, up and down behind the plate it doesn't seem like he's long for being a starter at this point a little older than you'd expect to so i'm not really into him chris bryant's moving to first base that could be a good thing to keep him healthy that projection may be a little bit light on a per game basis i could see him having a little bit of a bounce back but be careful with players like this who have multiple serious injuries they're on the wrong side of 30 i, I totally understand why you wouldn't want to be you know 10 for 10 on shares of chris bryant if you're in 10 leagues and then Brendan Rodgers, okay, like of all of all the players they have, he seems like the guy that has the most floor relative to his draft cost. So sure, you need a cheap MI that hits for average, gets to some power, and plays every day. I think Brendan Rodgers can do that. It's weird to me they won't let him run. Fair amount of injury risk, though. I mean, he only had a 192 play appearances last year. Right. So you got all that. Do you like any other younger guys? I mean, Brenton Doyle. Actually gets a pretty good projection from the bad X. 14 homers and 18 steals with 477 plate appearances. That's actually not that bad. I don't know why he gets that projection, though. For me, Brenton Doyle has one use is, is his defense. And uh, and I don't, I'm not sure that he's very good at the other things you have to do in baseball. I mean, he reaches a lot. He does hit the ball hard uh, on the max side. Didn't quite get to that on the barrel side. And the swing strike rate and the strikeout rate is close to untenable. 
if he brings the walk rate up to where he had in the minors, he could be like a low batting average, okay OBP. I guess that's somewhat of what the bat X is seeing. One thing that you're not seeing underneath the hood in that bat X projection, if you're focusing on batting average, home runs and steals, is a 287 OBP projection. Um, and the fact that uh, these numbers come out, and WRC Plus is a little bit problematic for Rockies players, but uh, they're saying he'd be 30% worse than league average for the bat. So, you know, but I do have this uh, outs above average. And I just took the last uh, couple of years of outs above average for the Rockies and took the guys who are going to be on the team next year and put them together. Brenton Doyle, 15 uh, outs above average in center field. Nolan Jones, minus four. Chris Bryant, minus six. Charlie Blackman, minus 13. Hunter Goodman has played 10 games in the outfield in the major leagues and is slotted in the outfield because Chris Bryant is a minus six in the outfield and Charlie Blackman is a minus 13 in the outfield. Uh, and their first base and DH spots are occupied. So I think this goes to sort of what you're talking about. Brenton Doyle is going to play because he can play defense. Mm-hmm. But Bradley Zimmer just got signed by the team today, and uh, it's a minor league contract, so who knows if he makes it. But the one thing he can do is play defense. He might have a worse bat than Doyle. Uh, I just, maybe Sean Bouchard uh, takes right field. Right field to me is a bit of a sore spot. You don't really want to play Blackman if he's that bad defensively. Elu Harris Montero wasn't a great defensive first baseman. I don't know if you want to put him out there. Hunter Goodman was a first baseman and a catcher before. So they've got this right field opening. I just don't know that I love any of the guys taking it. You know, do you have a personal favorite for right field? Is it just, you know, Frangraff says Goodman, or could it be Bouchard who, you know, had slightly better strikeout rates than, uh, than Goodman. I mean, than uh, Doyle and, and had some power. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Bouchard is somebody we should be looking at more. It may be. I mean, anyone who gets, decent playing time at least becomes streamable in deeper leagues. I, I think it's Goodman. I think he's the he's the most intriguing, I think, for me, based on what he's done in the minors. I think the age-to-level performances are somewhat encouraging. I mean, you see some decent WRC pluses along the way, even very good. Bouchard is 27. Right. And if this is a rebuilding team, then Hunter Goodman gets the shot. Yeah. Uh, I would say just on projections, Bouchard is the better projected player. I was trying to come up with a, a comp for Brenton Doyle. I may have even mentioned this previously. Is he Jose Siri if it all goes well, where it's a lot of glove, a lot of swing and miss? I mean, Siri had a 494 slug last year. He gets to the power What was his OBP, though? Siri's OBP is also low. It is in the... It was 267 last year. Woo! Like, I think that's kind of what a, you're hoping was for. Was he still a two-win player? Yeah, and I think that's sort of like if it goes right for yeah. Doyle, he could be a two, two-and-a-half win player because his glove's really good, he gets to some power, and you just sort of say, well, he's going to be at the bottom of the order. Once in a while, he's going to do some damage. Fine. Deep league player. I mean, if like it, the, the sad part is it seems like there's so much opportunity here for fantasy players, but uh, I would say that, you know, Rodgers, McMahon, Jones, uh, maybe Bryant, and maybe Tovar. One thing that's interesting about Tovar is just like when someone has an approach like this, and that's and it's it's similar to Doyle, which is and Siri, which is I I just I can't look past the flaws. It's like super chase rate, super bad walk rate, super bad OBP. Like on this team, can you really play Tovar and Doyle? You know, and Elias Diaz. 
Sure. You know, what difference does it make? Hunter Goodman. <laughs> play the youngest guys that you think you can make good players. That's right. Because the Rays can play Siri because the rest of the team is is good and they're winning. But the Rays also wouldn't wouldn't play three series. <laughs> no, not not if they're trying to contend. But if you're projected to win fifty four games, then oh, actually I cut I knocked three wins off. They're projected to win fifty seven. <laughs> so you're you're on the two hot scale. <laughs> Apparently, I'm on the two. I, I think fifty seven point seven is just right. Like they're they're about as bad as they were last year. They're gonna find their way to close to fifty seven. Maybe maybe they'll get to sixty. Few 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 lucky bounces. I mean, look at look at Dinger. Dinger just has the weight of the world on his shoulders. There's so <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, you got has him in do. the like you know uh, what this again kind of pose. <laughs> Dinger has been around for thousands of years and Dinger has seen some things and Dinger has never seen a pitching staff as bad as what the Rockies have assembled. It's brutal. Oh God, I feel bad. I feel bad for, I just remember back in the day, like talking to Brandon McCarthy while he was a pitcher talking about something completely unrelated. And he just went on like a 20 minute rant about pitching in Colorado and how crappy it was. What was the question again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I was talking to you about your cutter, but cool. It was one of those days where his last start was at Coors and it blew up his ratios maybe, or something. Or he was still he was mad about there it or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine it's it's awful. So, all right, where where are you at? Fifty seven point seven wins from Dakota for the Rockies. Too hot. Too hot. What are they going to get to? Like forty eight, forty eight wins. What's the record? Like the all-time worst record, yeah. There or just baseball's all-time worst record because we got some. Eighteen ninety-nine Cleveland Spiders went twenty and one thirty-four. Okay, they're not going to go twenty and one thirty-four. Well, or the equivalent <laughs> of that's only one hundred fifty-four games. Wow, that's amazing. It really is. I want an oral history of that. Okay, Detroit. You can't get an oral history of that. <laughs> No one's alive who was there for it. <laughs> My great grandfather told me once. Uh, 2003 Detroit Tigers. Yeah. 43 and 119. Oh, man. You just put, I think they might push for that. You, I think it'll be that. I think it'll be close. Well, you just turned on the Steven Nesbitt bat signal, whether you know it or not. He's <laughs> like, ooh, can I find anybody to talk about the 1899 Cleveland Spiders? And the 03 Tigers. Nez is going to be in your slack by the uh, the end of, of the day today, once he gets a chance to hear this. <laughs> Good news is we've got more team previews to come. And uh, if you are looking for those, they'll be coming out next week. We're going to take a break from team previews for our Thursday episode. A lot of great content rolling out at The Athletic, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. $2 a month gets you in the door for the first year. You can find Eno on Twitter, at Eno Saris. You can find me, at Derek Van Riper. Find the pod at Rates and Barrels. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening.